A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Brett Kavanaugh is now a justice on the Supreme Court, and international scientists have issued a landmark report on climate change. And we continue highlighting women running to make a difference. Today, you'll hear from Lindsey James, who decided to run for Iowa's legislature after Trump was elected. This is Sarah from the left. And Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Welcome to another episode of Pantsuit Politics, everyone. We have so enjoyed hearing from all of you about Friday's episode, and we're going to pick up where we left off with Brett Kavanaugh's confirmation, talk a little bit about the climate change report released today, and then you'll hear from Lindsay James. And Sarah is joining us from New York City today. Hello, Empire State of Mind over here. <laughs> so if you heard the sound is a little off, that is what's going on. But I'm glad you're here, Sarah, because I'm sure that you have some feelings about what has transpired with respect to the Supreme Court. I've got all the feelings. I had them all at 530 in the morning when I wake up, when I woke up just pissed off out of my mind. The first, I got a long list of things I'm angry about. I don't really know if I should start or end with the fact that now the Trump administration is pointing out the fact that we're all angry and trying to turn it into a mob. All this, they're a mob. The Democrats can't trust you. They're an angry mob. They're an unreasonable. They're an emotional victim mob. That part is really, really not setting well with me at all. Yeah, we're mad. We have a right to be mad. The second reason I'm mad is because I don't feel represented in my own government. That's the real reason I was mad at 530 a.m. was I just have you seen the the graphic that's like it's the first president to not be elected by the popular vote 
with a to pick a nominee confirmed by less than 50 percent of the population as represented by the senators that voted for him and then not supported by a majority Americans poll wise. And I just I just get I go down this deep, dark tunnel of that and how many like presidents I've voted for that have won the popular vote that haven't served. And then I go down a darker tunnel with the Supreme Court and representation and Bush v. Gore. And then it's just I'm in a pit of anger and I cannot find my way out. And it's really bad. I think the first thing that I feel right now is just that I'm sorry to people who have experienced sexual assault and abuse. Mm-hmm. I feel like the country has failed them, not just in the confirmation of Brett Kavanaugh, but more in the way this whole issue has been discussed. I've been trying to think about what would have made me feel better. And I think the thing that I am most troubled by is this narrative from Republicans that they believe something happened to Dr. Ford, just Mm -hmm. not that Brett Kavanaugh did it. I think that's so insulting. And I think that line of discussion is exactly why people don't come forward. And I'm just sorry. I'm sorry that we've let people down and all of that. I think I would have felt better if they would have just said what I think is actually true, which is we just don't care about this. We don't care about this. I mean, the the too long didn't read version of Susan Collins speech is I want to judge Brett Kavanaugh as a judge, not as a man who has an allegation of sexual misconduct against him. I want to I want to do my job as a senator based on his jurisprudence. The end. That's Mm -hmm. that's what I think her speech was. And you know what? I don't agree with that and I don't like it and I'm profoundly disappointed by that. But if you stop right there, I can respect it. What I cannot respect is then trying to say, but Me Too is important and women should be heard and people should come forward. Why? When when all of you are going to stand up, when the president is going to mock this woman, and then the entire Republican Party is, with the exception of Lisa Murkowski, personal hero right now, But all of these people are going to stand up and say, well, she's crazy. Because that's what it amounts to, right? If you say, I believe something happened to her, but it wasn't Brett Kavanaugh, whom she testified eloquently with 100% 100 certainty certainty that it was him, right? You're just saying she's crazy or a liar or a political operative or whatever. And that's the part that I cannot abide. It's the If I hear the word corroborate or the words corroborating evidence one more time, I'm going to rip somebody's head off. Like, that's what bothers me about it. I don't even think it's it's like they want they I feel like the argument they're making is, well, we don't want to deprive him of the right to be a Supreme Court justice unless we have DNA evidence to prove that she's telling the truth. We can't just listen to her story and decide for ourselves whether we think she's trying. We have to have outside evidence. We need a rape kit and 16 witnesses. And like, that's to me what I feel like they were saying, like, we'll do it, but it's, we need a mountain of evidence because this is such a big deal. It's way more important that we not deprive this man of his reputation and the chance to be a Supreme Court justice. Then we imply that she is at best confused and at worst a liar because her story, like that, they get trapped in this deep, dark tunnel of he said, she said, and they don't understand. It's like they refuse to understand the implication of this. Like when I get into it with Trump supporters, a.k.a. my dad, it's like they just want to have a hearing on like the like law and order style, this whole thing. And they don't understand that it's bigger than that, that the implication of how we treat the quote unquote evidence 
which they're like you said, it's just not going to happen like that. It's, it was too long ago. But it's like they they've just decided, well, if we can't have a rape kit, then we're just going to who cares if it happened or not, because we can't prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that it happened, because clearly that's the standard of proof for a freaking Supreme Court seat. Like, oh, it just makes me so mad. And they cannot see that the implication for every woman who's had been sexually assaulted, has come forward, chosen not to come forward. The implication for all those women is so much bigger. They refuse to accept that. And, and, and the louder we scream about the implication of that, the more they play this victimization, mob, all these shrill women card. And it just drives me insane. It drives me insane, too, honestly. I mean, the, it's been hard to read anything. I feel like if you're reading anything other than that into this, you're not paying attention. Yep. And I'm not mad at you about that, but I do want to sincerely ask you to pay attention because it is really hard to see the Orrin Hatch hand-waving grow up at protesters and to see the language of hysterical. John Cornyn's tweet with, you know, beer for Brett. Like, listen, we're getting an explicit message that fraternity culture prevailed. That's the explicit message that's coming through here. And I don't think the world's going to end because Brett Kavanaugh is on the Supreme Court. I don't like it. I wouldn't have chose it. I'm okay. I don't – listen, I'm just going to make everybody mad for a second here. Abortion is not my work. I I just don't eat, sleep, and breathe reproductive rights or the pro-life cause. I have a lot of questions about it. I think it's a really hard issue. I tend to lean libertarian because I think it's too hard for the government to get involved in. Mm-hmm. But I don't spend every second of every day worried about that. And I know that that will anger people on, you know, from every corner of the earth. So I can live with Brett Kavanaugh on the Supreme Court, even though I think it's terrible. What I'm really troubled by is the fact that our senators pretended that it is limited to that question. Because it's not. And I feel like the only person in the Republican Party who asked the fundamental question, is this good for America, was Lisa Murkowski. I think every other Republican senator said, does this seem right to me about Brett Kavanaugh? Not, is this good for America? And that, that tears me up. It was party above country. And here's the other thing, too. During the 2016 election... When I spent way too much of my life, precious moments of my life, arguing about Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump on Facebook, I'll never forget. I got into it with a guy in my town and during the Access Hollywood tape, and he basically said, yeah, sexual assault and that stuff, it's really unfortunate. Side note, this guy has two little girls. It's really important. But, you know, we got really important things to think about. We got like, you know, North Korea and taxes like, you know, that stuff. It sucks. It sucks for the individual women. But it, it's not it's not like top level priority. And I feel like that was the undercurrent of everything to say, like, we're really sad women get sexually assaulted and raped. It's really bad for those individual women. But it's not like our collective problem. That's how they talk about it. Like. Yeah, we're really, you know, we're sad for you guys. It sucks for you guys. We, we acknowledge, like, it's it's unfortunate for each individual woman. Like, I was reading an article that was talking about how we even talk about sexual assault. She was raped. Not he raped her. She was raped. And so it's like this, in, it's like this individual 
female burden for all of us to carry, but it's not really anything that rises to the level of something we should pay attention to culturally, which is why Me Too has been so powerful, because we were all saying, oh, hell no, this is everybody's problem, not each individual woman's problem. That's bullshit. But, you know, I think for better or for worse, this was a battle of the Me Too movement that was lost. We lost this battle. And they pushed back and said, no, no, this is y'all's problem, not the country's problem. And that just infuriates me. It just infuriates me. Well, they also said, hey, it's going to be okay. Yeah. I don't believe Brett Kavanaugh would do this. I don't believe he would do that. And listen, I hear you, but I didn't think Donald Trump would be the president. And I didn't think America would separate children from their families and create Mm -hmm. orphans that we house in empty Walmarts in the middle of Texas. I didn't think a ton of things that are our reality here in 2018 would ever happen in a million years. Honest to God, if you had given me just a list of factual headlines from 2018 in 2015, I would have laughed in your face. So I am sorry, Senator Collins and others, that I'm not trusting your judgment about what he won't do or my own, because my Mm -hmm. own judgment about what people are capable of has been seriously off for a couple of years now. And I think that's where the anger at white women is coming from. And I think it's deserved. I think as white women, we deserve, I deserve some of that anger because I really have believed in people's best instincts Mm -hmm. because my life has told me that most of the time best instincts prevail. And that is not the life experience of people who are not middle-class white women or white men or, you know, straight white men. And so I I hear you and I'm sorry because I have let people down with my voting and my conduct. And I'm I'm just sorry that the country has been let down in this scenario. And I think it is so much bigger than the people in the Senate refuse to acknowledge. And the last thing I want to say before I kind of get off my soapbox about this is that I get everything Susan Collins said about how bad this process is. And how much our discourse has deteriorated. And I can only imagine what all senators endure on a variety of issues. Any given issue, you name it, they go through a lot. And and I think it should it is more than should be part of the job here in 2018. I agree. We are we are in a bananas place. The fact that the reaction to that has become, well, then screw it all. I will just do what my party says. I just think that's the wrong direction, everybody. I think that's the wrong direction. And I think we need to embrace our humanity, not just in the sense of these senators are human beings and I'm not going to put them through agony at every step, but also these senators are human beings and I expect them to use their brains and act independently. Well, and before we move on, let me just, while we're talking about people we're disappointed in, I see you, George W. Bush and George Herbert Walker Bush, and we're through. We're through. I don't care if W. rescues Michelle Obama from a burning building. I'm through with both of them forever and their calls about Brett Kavanaugh and how they turn the tide, and I'm done. I'm done. I just wanted to say that real fast because I'm really mad about it, and I need to get it off my chest. Yeah, I understand that. I mean, I'm disappointed in so many people on this. I'm not in the space of 
you know, Susan Collins is forever canceled and everything meaningful she ever did is gone because she is one of 51 people who made this decision. Yeah, but she also got up there and blabbered on for 20 minutes. Yeah, and that was annoying. And I wish she hadn't done it. But I also don't think she is less entitled to blabber on than anybody else in that chamber. And I think the pressure on moderates is ridiculous. I think if we all want really powerful senators from our states, the message is elect a moderate. Elect somebody who might make a decision somewhere along the way. And you'll have a super powerful senator. So true. I don't want to discount every good thing she's ever done because of this vote. But I am really surprised and really sad about where this ended up. And I think that the damage to the court in the long term is going to be much bigger than any of these folks anticipate. Mitch McConnell saying this will blow over. Just wait, Mitch McConnell. No, he doesn't understand. He does not understand. You could tell by the way he was talking about Merrick Garland on Face the Nation. He didn't get it. He's justified this to himself. And I saw it and I saw like how defensive he got about David Jean the Senate and the Supreme Court. And I'm like, oh, you've convinced yourself you haven't done anything ahistorical. That's why. But you have, my friend. You have. And look, this happens on a small scale all the time with decision makers who have done things that they regret and don't want to admit it. And probably the next line for Mitch McConnell will start to become, I'm glad I'm on the back half of my career instead of the front half because everything around me has just fallen apart and people have lost their minds. And it'll never be an acceptance of responsibility no. for what he has contributed to all of that. And it's it's sad. Speaking of sad, a big climate change report came out. Sad and scary. Very, very scary. But I think there's hope in this, too. Oof. So the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, which is the leading international body established by the UN Environment Program and the World Meteorological Organization, has released a report saying we've got 12 years to maintain global warming at 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels instead of two. And there is just a world of difference in that half a degree. It's just hard to be hopeful when the Trump administration's rolling one protection back after another. And now we have this guy in Brazil who looks like he's going to pull out of the climate change or Paris Accords, too. So America is involved in the IPCC. So that's good. That's something we haven't dropped out of yet. <laughs> Hooray for that. Here's what I found hopeful. I think a lot of conversation about climate change is so fatalistic, like it's already over. We can't do anything. And this says, oh, we can. It's going to have we're going to have to change our entire way of life and we have to do it right now. But we can do something. There was some coverage in The New York Times that FEMA is supporting sort of just rebuild and destroy nothing that actually changes and protects from climate change. Like I just think especially for the United States. Until the cost of rebuilding after climate events gets like it's not sustainable what we're doing right now, just economically. And so I don't know until we can really come to Jesus with the impact of this in a way that's not we're not talking about just one hurricane at a time. And we're starting to see the impact of them of them in a more um, global way on our economy and on our 
the different regions of our country. I, I think that that's I, honestly, I just think the economic impact of hurricane season, if nothing else, is going to be where we're really going to have to say, OK, something's going to have to change because we can't keep this up. And I do feel like it is difficult for people to ignore that that weather is different. Mm-hmm. I mean, the past couple of years, it's just different. It's almost 90 degrees here in October. I took my kids swimming in October. October. They went swimming because it was hot. That's bananas. Like, I don't understand how people... There's no way that people can deny that the climate is changing. I just... It's unfathomable to me. The other good thing, I think, that this report helps me think about, the actions that we need to take to meet this threat are good for us in a variety of ways. It is good for us to have a common cause, right, that should transcend politics and other forms of difference. It is good for us to eat less meat in our physical bodies. We could help the planet and decrease the cost of health care all at once. By, and, and same thing with limiting our transportation. It's We're not doing ourselves any favors by commuting hours a day in individual cars. So you know, true. they're all the things that we need to do to make this better, I truly in my heart believe would make us a healthy, happier society independent of global warming, consuming less, you know, voting more. (laughs) Um, The opportunities in new industries, new kinds of jobs, new kinds of innovation to do things better. I mean, I just I think that this is a win win if we will stop arguing about the science, not even really arguing, just putting our foot down and saying, I don't want to think about this and and doing some of it. I mean, I just feel so optimistic because as bad as it is to be a degree and a half Celsius warmer than pre-industrial levels, knowing that we can still save coral reefs, you know, we can still have crops. And I I had been feeling pretty doomsday. And this at least gives me hope that we have 12 years. We can do this. There are specific steps we need to take. Let's go. Well, that's a good transition into my gratitude because I'm currently in New York City and I am grateful for mass transit, which we should all be using more of. I mean, we have been taking a tour of the mass transit system while we're here. We've been taking a train in from outside the city every morning, We took the ferry. We took the Staten Island ferry. We've been taking the subway all across the city. And it's just, not only is it obviously a more sustainable way to transport yourself, but I just love it. I think it's so fun. I like to watch just humanity march across my face and surround me. I like to see the ads. (laughs) I like to watch what people are reading and doing on their phones. Uh, And I really love the Staten Island Ferry, which is a free way to take a little boat tour and see the Statue of Liberty if you go to New York City anytime soon. So we had, we've been having a great time on the mass transit in New York City. So I'm super, since I've been grateful for the interstate system before, I'm really grateful for the mass transit system in New York City in particular. I love mass transit too. I wish we had more of it where I live. I am grateful similarly for something related to climate change. This organization, 500 Women Scientists. Have you heard of 500 Women Scientists, Sarah? No, but I like it already. It's a grassroots organization started by four women who met in graduate school at CU Boulder 
and who maintained friendships and collaborations after Jobs and life took them away from Boulder. They published an open letter after the 2016 election affirming a commitment to speak up for science and for women, minorities, immigrants, people with disabilities, and people who identify as LGBTQ+. And their mission is to serve society by making science open, inclusive, and accessible by empowering women to grow to their full potential in science, increasing scientific literacy through public engagement, and advocating for science and equality. And there are these pods all over the country and world. Um, There are way more than 500 women scientists now, lots and lots of women scientists, just recognizing that we're all connected to each other and justice is always related, and the advancement of science, and this is something that Elise Larson, who joined us a few weeks ago, talked about, depends on every good mind being at the table. Mm -hmm. We cannot have gender discrimination in academia if we want to solve global warming. We have to have the best minds at the table, and that includes racial issues and all the ways that we sort ourselves, we have to stop doing so that we can put our best thinkers on this. And I just really appreciate what they're doing. We'll put a link to that organization in our show notes so you can find out more about them. Next up, we are going to talk to Lindsay James, candidate for the Iowa legislature, another woman who I found really inspiring to speak with about standing up and trying to make a difference in the world. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is, I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pantsuit. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. 
It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day. Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion, in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. We are delighted to be here with Lindsay James, candidate for the Iowa legislature. Lindsay, welcome to Pantsy Politics. Thank you for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Okay, I was really captivated when I read that your six-year-old asked you a question that prompted you to run. Will you tell us about that moment? Sure. I um, was found myself stumbling my way through a conversation with my six-year-old daughter the morning after the 2016 presidential election. As did many of us. Yes. As I'm hearing, when I tell this story, many parents say, gosh, it was, um, it was a tough uh, conversation to have, especially with young people. Um, and, uh, she said to me, I'm, I'm telling her who our next president is, and you can see her absorbing all the information and she's not, you know, responding. Um, when she does finally respond, it's not with a statement. It's, it's a question. And she says, mom, do we have to build a wall? And in that moment, that's when I realized that, um, I, I could do something more because there are so many walls and barriers, uh, dividing people and preventing people from thriving that, um, I knew that this was the moment when I needed to jump in, uh, take the experience that I currently have as a city commissioner and as an elected official in our County and, and go further with that. So I think when you look in the eyes of kids and have these important conversations, you realize what's at stake. And so that was very clear to me the morning after the 2016 election. So this isn't your first rodeo, as they say, with elected office. As you mentioned, you're a city commissioner, county official. You also have experiences outside of elected service, but still in the realm of public service as a college chaplain. And I read that you're an active leader in the NAACP as well. Yes, yes. Yeah, you know, I... um have been deeply committed um, to social justice and advocacy for those who are on the margins of society for my entire life. That's something I'm incredibly passionate about. And so that has taken different forms over the years. But um, I serve um, as a city commissioner. That's an appointed position by our city council. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So it's different across, yeah, different cities. Right. Because um, you, you have had experience. Yeah. I'm a city commissioner. I'm up for re-election this year. But we, I mean, we're elected. So you're appointed. That's interesting. Yeah, appointed by the city council. So I do, um, I sit on the Community Development Advisory Commission. We take, uh, you know, community development block grant funds from the federal government and then, you know, advise advise the city council on the use of those funds. But uh, a lot of those funds are directed to safe and affordable housing initiatives within the context of our city. And um, so I'm particularly passionate about some of our fundamental human rights around, um, you know, housing and um, healthcare and education. So I, um, 
I love that role. My other role is as a county elected official, which is with um, ISU Extension and Outreach. So that is working within the agricultural context and, um, you know, local foods, um, as well as supporting, you know, young kids and 4-H programming and, and things like that. So that is a small position in comparison to uh, what I'm doing now. So, you know, when I ran for ISU Extension, I put together a website and, you know, did a few social media blasts and said, vote for me. And, um, you know, was on uh, elected to that seat two years ago. And this is a entirely different endeavor, um, you know, much more of a traditional campaign experience. So how are you trying to bring you know, with a diverse perspective and diverse experiences, and I'm assuming, a, a, you know, in many ways, a very different set of values. How are you trying to change campaigning? How when you when you look and you try when you think about sort of traditional campaigning, you said it was a traditional experience, but what are you bringing to that? How are you trying to change it? Well, it's um, there's conversations across our country around the ways in which women in particular are um, taking different routes to the traditional campaigning. Um, I committed very early. So I was in a competitive three-way primary um, with two, um, two, two men who were deeply connected to the community. So I have actually um, only lived in our community for about four years and, um, you know, we have lived across the country and excited about bringing that experience from across the country to Iowa in particular. But um, I had some uphill battles in terms of name recognition and ID. Um, and so in the primary, we, you know, connected, I connected with each of my opponents and said, I am committed to not going negative. We all talked about, um, you know, campaigning particularly on um, issues, not identity politics, not a negative campaigning. So that was, I felt really proud of that. We had a very spirited and lively campaign. It forced all of us to get out there um, in ways uh, in which we maybe didn't consider before. So I spent time knocking 7,000 doors in the primary. So I actually am, um, as soon as this uh, conversation is over, I've got um, a knock packet that I, I'm going out and it is pouring down rain. So um, <laughs> I'm going out in the rain. You catch people at home when you do that. So I'd say, yes, a positive campaign um, and then uh, and getting out there quite a bit um, and then really wanting to cross the aisle. That's really important to me. I've spent my career as a chaplain working with uh, worldviews that are very different from one another and, um, you know, bringing together people together across difference is really important. So um, I am excited about being the kind of candidate that, um, you know, connects with my uh, Republican. I'm a Democrat running Republican opponent, but also then does that good and hard work across the aisle when I get there. Tell us about public education. I was really interested as I was reading your website about this sentence in particular. You talked about an approach to assessment and teaching that gets beyond a standardized formula and appreciates our kids' unique gifts and learning styles, which elicited a little bit of an amen from me. And I would love to know about your more specific thoughts on this topic, because I think this is something that, as you were just talking about working across the aisle, I feel like everyone is frustrated with the standardized testing that is driving so much public education across the country. Sure, sure. One of the things that I, um, you know, as a mother with two kids in our public school systems, um, each of my kids, you know, and I think every parent and grandparent, aunt or uncle, anyone who's around kids for any amount of time are quick to, to realize that each kid has individual needs 
individual strengths and gifts and challenges. And um, I really believe in an education system that can teach to those um, individual uh, children. I think right now what um, our teachers feel is a pressure to um, teach to tests and therefore our kids become a standardized formula for our teachers. So what's really important to me is to um, allow our teachers the freedom that they have um, and that they have been uh, you know, these are incredibly equipped and wonderful teachers in my school district to, to unleash them to um, teach how they believe is um, best for each of those individual kids, a curriculum that incorporates arts and recreation that, um, you know, emphasizes reading and, um, you know, allows kids to play and, you know, find themselves uh, in a really positive school experience um, instead of one that, you know, has a lot of pressure cooker of exams and tests. So, uh, there is some interesting legislation happening that um, around the country or conversations around transparency acts when it comes to how much resources we put towards standardized testing. And I think that's an interesting solution and conversation to be having as it relates to education. So, um, you know, when, when we can see how much money is being put toward um, teaching to the test and, you know, the supplies and the efforts and energies, I think we... Um, may be able to weigh, is this where we want to spend our financial resources when it comes to education? So um, I'm excited to dig in with our school teachers and our administrators to, you know, help solve some of these issues. How is that being received when you're talking with your fellow Iowans about that? I feel like we have this really unhealthy obsession with metrics on how kids perform. And the obsession with that, to me, is asking the wrong question, because I think the measurement of our school's success is more how adults are performing, right? What are our employment rates? What are our economic indicators looking like? Um, what, what is our cultural conversation looking like? So I'm wondering how how these conversations go when you talk with people in Iowa. Oh, the teachers um, regularly say that these tests reveal for us what we already know about our students, which is if you are a child who is trapped in a cycle of poverty, then you have difficulty reading at a third grade level. That makes total sense to me. Yeah. So I think that that's where the teachers feel frustrated is because these uh, results are saying, you know, and we certainly need metrics of success. We certainly need to be able to track and see where our kids are going. Here's a thought process. We could also incorporate asking the teachers. Yes. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, I'm just spitballing here. We could ask the person spending all the time with it. I mean, like, you know, and when, when we were in elementary school, the teacher just, you know, there was grades, but then there was like that all that that long section of your report card where they filled stuff out. Yeah. And the, the notes, teacher notes, basically. I mean, like, to me, I'm going to be way more inclined to a parent to listen to that anyway. Yeah. So I think that there are some real issues in Iowa in particular. We continue to fail to fund our school um, at a rate that keeps up with inflation. And so our teachers are reeling. Uh, we, the, we are under a GOP trifecta. So the governor's mansion, um, the Senate and the House is Republican majority and control. Um, they have uh, in the last two years stripped away uh, massive collective bargaining rights in particular um, for our teachers. So our teachers can um, can advocate for base wages, but they can't um, advocate or you know voice any concerns around the other parts of their workplace and their environment, which means that we have stifled our teachers to advocate for our kids as well. So it is um, a heart-wrenching reality. I think teachers in particular have a, um, it's a profession with a target on its back. Um, it has a 
people have a lot of um, critique of teachers. And I think when that happens, the next generation of leaders are going to question whether or not this is the industry that they actually want to go in. And so I want to be a legislator who is supporting our teachers, advocating for our teachers, um, you know, because I do believe that the quality of the teacher um, is directly related to the quality of the education that our kids are going to receive. And um, I want to, tr you know, to give them the freedom and trust them and empower them to do, um, you know, the work that they've been trained for. Okay. I also want to ask you about sustainability because I yes. love how in your list of issues you have as, as an issue, yes. the statement, we only have one planet. I would love to hear about local sustainability issues that are really informing your perspective. Sure. You know, it's an, it's an interesting dynamic because um, I do believe that we only have one planet and a lot of the way in which I view environmental and sustainability and just, you know, environmental justice in general has to do with our kids. You know, so I will argue that our kids are our most um, precious resource and our most important responsibility and the decisions that we make today will impact them tomorrow. And if we are not conscientiously thinking about our environment and sustainability practices, then we are leaving them a legacy, um, you know, which will cause them, you know, great harm. So I really believe that those are interconnected. I also believe that uh, environmental justice um, impacts issues with the environment impact the poor. And so for us to be advocating for the poor also goes, and our kids goes hand in hand with uh, the environment. So uh, we live in Iowa. Iowa is an agricultural state. Um, there we, our crops are soy and corn. Um, and we have farming practices um, that have uh, left us, I think, a pretty negative legacy, um, especially when it comes to our impaired waterways. So, um, you know, we're right on the Mississippi River. Uh, the dead zone that is at the end of the Mississippi is, um, you know, when you take a look at those realities are pretty bleak. Um, and we have water quality and soil quality issues. So I advocate for things like, um, you know, when it comes to our crops, setbacks. Um, we right now have voluntary setbacks. So you build, you can build your crops, um, on a voluntary basis, right up to your waterway or your stream or some sort of a water source, or you can voluntarily, um, set those back. I would advocate for setting those back. Um, and then a water quality monitoring system that we don't currently have in place that will actually give us a strong indication of whether or not we are, um, you know, our surface waters are, um, clean. So we in, in Dubuque, the city that I live in have a well system of water and it is, um, I mean, we are lucky to have that. Not all of Iowa has that. So, um, you know, we need to be thinking about a state water quality, um, you know, across, across the board. Lindsay, tell us about, I know that you're very passionate and your professional experience speaks to this about talking across differences about sitting down together. And what I think is really interesting about your experience, it's not about convincing. It's about acknowledging our differences and moving forward from that point. You know, I um, a lot of people ask me um, they why I decided to study theology. A lot of people wonder, you know, that I my background, the bulk of my career has been as a chaplain working on college campuses, uh, working with Jewish, Christian, Muslim, and atheist student groups. I'm particularly passionate about bringing people together across difference for the for the sake of doing what is good and right and just. 
And um, that is an unusual background to go into politics. I mean, you assume things like, oh, if you have a legal background, that would be a natural jump into politics. But for me, um, this is skill set is so vitally important and needed in a time of political polarization. So I actually uh, lost a friend in 9-11. She was uh, one of the the people who went down in Flight United 93. And so I am at 21 years old, so I was in college at the time, I'm grieving the loss of this friendship. But I'm also friends with a second generation Muslim American woman who then in a post 9-11 country becomes a target of hate because of the color of her skin and because of the clothing that she wears. In that moment, I realized that I want to understand, um, I want to study theology and understand why organized religion throws bombs at each other. Why are different um, perspectives and worldviews cause such incredible um, you know, violence and, and hatred and polarization? And so when we, you know, as I began to face the realities of our political systems, it occurred to me that this is, um, you know, these kinds of realities in our politics are very similar to the realities of, um, you know, people trying to figure out how to live um, in a pluralistic society and with various, um, you know, religious, different religious perspectives as neighbors and backgrounds. So I um, decided to jump in this race as one of, you know, thinking that that's an additional skill set that I bring to the table. And um, I'm really excited about being in the legislature and actually being unconventional in crossing the aisle and having these conversations, because um, if we can't go back to um, thoughtful, meaningful conversations about the problems that people are facing at the doors, we are just going to continue to polarize and divide. And I'm willing to do that. Um, and so, and I hope that I can shape a culture in that context um, as well as I go forward in politics. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. 
dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy Filtered Showerhead is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy Filtered Showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. Speaking with that kind of moral clarity, tell us about your position on income inequality and some of the solutions that you've advocated for Iowa. You know, I the very first day of college, uh, the president of our university stood up in his welcome address and he said, if you take the world's population and you line it up from the wealthiest person at the front of the line and the poorest person at the back of the line, People who are at the front of the line often spend so much time looking forward at who's in front of them and trying to get ahead that they never take the time to stop and turn around and look at who's behind him. Then he let that sink in for a moment. You can feel just the silence in in the room. And if you're a college student in Iowa, there's a lot of people behind you. (laughs) Right, right. So many people. Yes. So many people. Yes. And so after, you know, after this is, after this is said, and then he says, you know, he lets it pause and linger. And then he says, and we never ask the question of why, why is there such um, income inequality in our country uh, and in our world? And that was a moment where um, that changed my worldview and that changed my perspective. And I felt a deep sense of call, if you will, to advocate for those who are on the margins of society, who are pushed aside, who are oppressed, And, um, you know, when I look at the context of our country and even our world, um, economic justice um, is something that we need to address in very concrete and practical ways. And so, um, you know, I talk a lot about in my campaign, two thirds of low wage workers are women. The cost of child care in Iowa is the average family is about nine thousand a year. Uh, if you make minimum wage at seven twenty-five an hour, that's just roughly over fifteen thousand dollars a year. So we are facing forty-one percent of Iowans are struggling to meet their basic needs. So that's housing, transportation, food, clothing. So that's forty-one percent of families who might not be able to buy their kids a birthday present, or a winter jacket, or take them on a vacation. 
So poverty and economic justice is impacting our kids in some very real ways. And so I talk a lot about um, affordable housing and some solutions that we can do um, in that regard, as well as um, making sure that we have accessible, you know, education is incredibly important to give our kids a foundation. Um, housing is incredibly important and then food security. So um, I love it that in my world in Dubuque, Iowa, my commission work and my ISU extension work, you know, the um, affordable housing piece and the food security fits so nicely together all around um, and making sure that our families have their best chance at life and our kids, making sure our kids have their best chance at life. So tell us about your experience running as a woman and what advice you would give to other women considering, as you said, when you started just doing more. Sure. So, uh, you know, I've had some really beautiful stories, um, and some really hard stories out of, um, Mm. you know, running as a woman. Um, I am often referred to in the primary was referred to, um, as the female candidate, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, because the standard of uh, politicians, you know, in our culture has been men. Um, and so I would, be distinguished as that. Um, I have been told things like Lindsay, this just may not be your time. Oh, I've heard that one. Well, yes. heard that Women one. across all industries have heard that when it comes to promotion or different kinds of you yep. know, interviews for jobs. I mean, it is pervasive. So I've been told it may not be your time. Um, I have been told things like Lindsay, are you sure you can handle the additional responsibilities, um, and be present with your kids as a mom? Ha! Yes. And I, my comment to that is regularly, I am doing this for my kids. And I'm, you doing- know, I never recall hearing that when I would have an additional child. <laughs> yes. No, what it'd be like, are you sure you can care for this child right. and the other child? Yes. So um, there has been some really uh, difficult conversations in that. Um, I regularly get critiqued um, or feedback on my hair, my dress. <laughs> I think your hair is lovely. Why are people mad about your hair? Thank you. Um, you would be surprised. <laughs> so actually, I don't know why I said that. I did a Facebook live the other day and a woman commented. Yes. I know a really good hairdresser, dear, if you need it. I'm like, what? Well, I need a hairdresser. I love my hair. And I have a hairdresser. That's really rude. Right. Well, and I'm going to have to go back and look at that Facebook <laughs> live. Video. Oh, my God. I mean, right. We do. We get critiqued on that all the time. I get told um, on a regular basis, um, you know, if you smile too much, Lindsay, which I, I have a pretty sunny disposition. Um, I'm a pretty joyful person. Um, and people will say, you smile too much. You don't have enough gravitas. But then the oh second that I stop smiling, you know, I am told that I look angry. Oh my God. So, I mean, there's so many of these moments where, uh, you know, women have additional barriers to running for office. But one of the, um, some of the moving stories that I've experienced is I knocked on a door one evening, one of my 7,000 doors and, uh, had a a great interaction with a mom and dad and a five-year-old girl named Olivia. Mm. And it was, you know, a pretty normal interaction. And that night I, um, had a Facebook message pop up on my computer screen and it was, uh, the mom saying, um, you came and knocked on your, our door. And, um, right before you knocked on our door, our five-year-old daughter, asked the question and she said, mom, when are we going to put the smart girls in charge? 
And then she said, and then you knocked on our door and we had this conversation with you. And she said that she was able to close the door and say, Olivia on June 5th, that's when we're going to put the smart girls in charge. And June 5th was the date of our primary. So, um, you know, stories like that. I had another young girl named Ella come up to me and say, you know, you need to know me because I am going to be the first woman president of the United States of America. (laughs) And, you know, and for me, that's so, um, that's so exciting to hear because at the age of she's in sixth, sixth grade, but because of that, that's the age when girls' confidence plummets, when the world begins mm. to tell them that their uh, dreams are too big and their hopes are too big and they're not going to be able to do it. And, you know, for me, I just, I said to her, well, let me get out of your way, girl, because <laughs> you have clearly have places to go. And mm-hmm. then I asked her if I could be her intern when she runs <laughs> president of the United States. So I'm excited about that possibility. So um, th- I love that that was your answer because I was going to say my favorite doors were always the ones where there were little girls answering because they look at you like, what are you doing? Like their eyes get so big when they open the door and they see a woman there being like, I need to talk to your parents. I want them to vote for me. It's so awesome. Right. Yes. And then the bet, I mean, one of the more heartwarming stories as well was um, a conversation that I didn't have, but my husband had with our daughter And he was explaining to her um, who the state representative in the district next to mine uh, was and uh, happens to be a a man and is a wonderful, wonderful legislator. And uh, she says to him, oh, daddy, I didn't know that boys could do that job. (laughs) (laughs) You know, because she has seen um, now she is living in a reality where, um, you know, she's watching women across the country uh, run for these offices. And so I really believe that we are painting a new picture for the next generation of women. Um, And I'm grateful for the women that have gone before us who um, have paved the way for me. Um, But we have work to do. I mean, we have very clear work to do when it comes to actually um, making sure that we have diversity at our decision-making tables. Well, we're so glad that you're out there doing that work. Thank you so much for joining us. Lindsay, if people want to know more about you, how can they find you and help you? Yes, you can find my website. It's lindsayforiowa.com. That's L-I-N-D-S-A-Y-F-O-R-Iowa.com. And um, you can follow me on Twitter and Facebook and please do find me. And um, I've been really proud of the amount of response that we've had of support from across the country. So um, I'd love to add you as someone who is cheering me on from afar. Well, thank you so much. We are going to want to follow up with you after the election and all of the other women we've had on to see how your race has turned out. And we'll be rooting for you here. What's on your mind outside of politics, Sarah? I mean, I want to talk about New York City, but really that's not what's on my mind. All I can think about is A Star is Born. Have you seen it yet? I have not, but I'm dying to see it. It's so good. It's so good. Oh, my God. I don't even know where to start. Okay, let's start with how sexy Bradley Cooper is. I don't even like Bradley Cooper. I've never thought he was that attractive before, but he has this beard. And as I said on our Instagram, like sort of like demons. And he loves Lady Gaga in this movie so much. And she's so good. And I listened to the soundtrack almost nonstop to Chicago from Paducah, which is five hours. The songs aren't even that long, y'all. The music's amazing. He's amazing. She's amazing. I just, I really... I cannot say enough about this movie. It's like, and like at parts, you just feel like you're in a really good concert. Like the concert footage is so good. They they filmed some of it at like Coachella and he learned to play the guitar. And then my friend Dave told me today that you can go on YouTube and Bradley Cooper speaks fluent French. You can listen to his butt gift interviews in French. I cannot 
fathom anything better than seeing my new celebrity crush speak French. Sorry, Nicholas. Y'all, this movie, go see it. Don't run. Don't walk. It's so good. Well, I can talk about a movie, too. I just took the girls to see Smallfoot. Very different way. Smallfoot <laughs> could be subtitled, Human Beings Stop Being Terrible. Um, it was a little bit on the nose about how violent and discriminatory we are as people. But the girls liked it, and I don't think they were too depressed by it. I watched it as Brett Kavanaugh was being confirmed. Oh, Lord. And so I pretty well cried through the whole movie. Oh, no. And I'm not even sure why. Um, but it did end very optimistically. And there were some very interesting, strong female Yeti characters in it, which I Love appreciated. Um, and so we enjoyed it for the most part. It wasn't my favorite kids movie ever, but I was happy for a moment to be talking about something other than Wreck-It Ralph, which my girls are suddenly interested in. I don't know why. And I just think it's the worst. I think oh, it's I love Wreck-It Ralph. Oh, I love oh. Wreck-It Ralph. But I have a kid named Felix. So Fix-It Felix kind of yeah. it's, it's a big deal in our house. There's the I don't I've never liked video games like something about the visual of it on the screen really bothers me. Yeah, if you didn't like video games, you would not like Wreck It Ralph. No, it's not for me. You just need to go see Star Wars Born. It's the only movie everyone should say. I'm gonna go see it again. I never see movies again ever, ever. You know how I like to get through a list. There's a lot of things I want to see. I never go see a movie twice. I'm taking my butt back to see that again. While we are talking pop culture, are you watching SNL this season? I have not. I did not watch Aquafina. Was she good? Yeah, I thought she seemed bothered but who wasn't i mean i'm not sure that she was totally herself i liked the cold open they did a cnn interview from the gop locker room oh, I like it. and showed everybody just drinking and celebrating and i i think that they have pretty well nailed the kavanaugh situation i don't know how the season will go from here but i thought it was great and they had a really funny <laughs> sketch about um the presidential alert system and women oh, reacting to messages coming through the presidential alert system so so far so good i think love it thank you for joining us for another episode of pantsuit politics we will be back in your ears on wednesday over on the nuanced life and we have a very exciting guest spot on jen Hatmakers for the left podcast so check that out on thursday and until then keep it nuanced y'all Fancy Politics is produced by Dylan Garvin. Elise Knapp is our production assistant. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Our show is listener-supported. Special thanks to our executive producers, Tracy Putoff, George Niedermeyer, James Randall, Cherry Haas, Nicholas Holland, and Chad Silvers. To support Pantsuit Politics and receive lots of bonus features, visit patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics. You can connect with us on our website, www.pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. Sign up for our weekly emails and follow us on Instagram.